0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Brian, joined in the studio by Pastor Eric. Eric, today we're in week number three of our Mark, Gospel of Mark series. We're going to be covering chapter one, verses 14 to 20 today. So anyone out there listening, if you want to open your Bibles or your Bible apps and follow along with us, but Eric, we're calling today's uh, title, we're calling it the Upside Down Kingdom. Where do we get that from? What, What are we talking about today?
1: Well, so we're coming to the portion in the book of Mark where uh, Jesus brings up this idea of the kingdom, and it's the first time he's going to tell us about what he's come for. And so last week we looked at uh, this preparation time and Jesus starting his ministry. He was baptized, and then he went out into the wilderness. And we actually looked at verses 14-14 and 15 briefly but now today we're going to look at verses 14 through 20 we're going to talk about how Jesus starts his ministry with with a call to repentance and and believing in the good news of the kingdom and then he starts to choose people ordinary people to join the kingdom and to do his work and so we see that again in in Matthew chapter 1 verses 14 through 20. It starts out like this. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men.
0: Okay, so let's go back for a second as we talk about the king's speech here, and let's— Let's start with this, where it says that Jesus went into Galilee. Eric, why Galilee, before we even jump into the message of the speech itself?
1: Well, Galilee is where Jesus was from. You know, Jesus of Galilee, Jesus of Nazareth. Those are areas that that Jesus was very familiar with. And so that's where he wanted to start his message. He was going to tell the people that he was familiar with first um as a matter of fact that's where we see um his first miracle which also um starts or inaugurates his his ministry. He does his water into wine miracle at the wedding. Um and so Herod has uh, or or Galilee has this this um, significant starting point for for why Jesus chose to start and preach about the kingdom and one, one other reason is because of Herod. Herod, Herod, King Herod at the time, that was where his base camp was, it was in Galilee, so Jesus being a king, not of this world, is going right to the base camp of, of Israel's king at the moment, and he's saying, I'm setting up a new kingdom, there's a lot of, of symbolism there.
0: And what does is, what is Jesus mean? You know, it says his announcement is that the kingdom of God is near, and I'm sure there are a lot of listeners who are confused by that language. What does Jesus mean when he uses the language of the kingdom? Because, you know, Mark is—we learned a couple of weeks ago that Mark is the—he's the he's the, uh, he's the shortest gospel writer, so he's only going to give us the most important stuff, and, and yet he talks right away here about— this concept of the kingdom of God. What did Jesus mean by that?
1: Well, the the kingdom isn't necessarily uh, an earthly, physical thing that could be seen necessarily. Now, that's what Israel was waiting for in this Messiah, whom Mark has already um, established that Jesus is this Messiah. But yet, if we look uh, later in, in the book of Mark, if we look forward, in, in chapter 4, Jesus says it like this, uh, verse 26 and 27, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground night and day while he's asleep or awake. The seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. Um, and so Jesus is saying the kingdom is like this this unseen Thing that that grows it's going to invade everywhere kind of like he always uses these these analogies of of harvest and planting and and farming and you know seeds and and sprouts and you always see these analogies and illustrations that jesus uses because people would get it and so he's He's saying that there's something coming that you can't necessarily see. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual kingdom. I, I haven't come necessarily to, to take over and rule and reign physically here on earth and kick the Romans out. I've come to be the king of people's hearts. I've come to, to, to reign, rule and reign in people's hearts and, and gather a spiritual people to do a spiritual service to take this kingdom to the ends of the earth. You know, faith is something that can't be seen. And then later in in, in another gospel, Jesus kind of confirms what we're talking about. In, in, in Luke chapter 17, verse 21, he says, you won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. So Jesus is... Is saying that when he says the kingdom is near here in Mark, he's saying I'm bringing this this new spiritual um, presence, this new kingdom that's going to invade your hearts and your spirits, and and it's a heavenly kingdom. It's not necessarily about earth.
0: Yeah, but some people listening might say, "Now that that sounds kind of scary." <laughs> you know, this idea of being a part of a kingdom. And so, you know, last week we talked about how this is good news. How is it good news that that we can be a part of the kingdom of God? Cuz some people have this picture of God that isn't good, right? So some people think that God is this big scary distant um ruler. Mm -hmm. And when we use the word kingdom, that might not help. So why is this good news?
1: Well, because God is a a good king. And so when we look out at the world and we see bad leaders, bad rulers, we've got bad news every single day when when we turn on the radio or the television, there's a lot of evil going on in the world. That's what God wants to come and and fix and change he wants to bring goodness and righteousness and holiness to the world and he's going to do that through through people in their hearts and and so we look at you know there are bad leaders and rulers and they they um you know don't don't always lead with with good morals and good intentions well god is good and he wants to bring about goodness holiness righteousness um and he's going to do it in in a way that we're not used to in a in a sacrificial way you see god the good news about this king coming to bring his kingdom is is that he's come to take care of the evil in the world he's come to take care of the evil even in our hearts and as you know the gospel is the good news. The gospel is that Jesus who was king of heaven stepped off his throne, came down to earth so that he could start this ministry and he would he would ultimately give up his entire life. He would he would take our place in a death that we deserved so that we could live forever, our sins could be forgiven and and so God comes in the person of Jesus Christ, to bring this kingdom as as one who who wants to lavishly and graciously and and mercifully ask people to to come in to leave the world behind and come into this new relationship where you can have a relationship directly with the king. You don't have to do it through rulers and religions and and bad leaders you can have a direct relationship with the king when you understand that your heart is is evil and and repent turn from your sin and trust in the good news that Jesus was going to and has already died on the cross for our sins so that we could be made right with him and that's what makes this thing so upside down because normally kings don't lower themselves like Jesus lowered himself to be a servant to his people to wash his disciples' feet to ultimately die for his people you know no people don't have a direct relationship with the king unless they're very important people people of great importance and and they've earned uh their way they're noble people right um and so this is is so upside down that the king would actually come and he would come to be our servant and and die for us so that we could actually get into his kingdom and have a relationship with him. That's the good news.
0: Well, and it says, Jesus says there in that, in verse 15, he says two things that we should do. So for people listening, when they're saying, okay, how do I enter the kingdom? How do I get to be a part of this kingdom? There are two words we want you to hear. Number one, he says, Repent. So Eric, let's explain that here in a second. And then number two, he says, believe. So repent and believe. Let's start with repentance. What is the biblical concept of repentance? He says, repent of your sins. What does that mean? That was kind of a message that John the Baptist brought. What does Jesus mean by that?
1: Yeah, repentance really in in this context means to change our mind, change our direction of life, turn around. And so repentance is is turning from my my self-directed life and turning towards God. I'm changing my mind what I what I believe is true and right and I'm and I'm turning God's way and instead of my own, rejecting my way of life which was sinful and selfish and following after him. That's repentance. And we
0: have we have more on repentance in the library at PursueGod.org, but I always like to tell I always like to draw the distinction between repentance and the fruit of repentance. Repentance is an attitude change. The fruit of repentance is actually what happens because of that attitude change. So the reason I think this is important because, you know, the Bible teaches that we're saved by faith, right? That's the second word we're going to talk about, Mm -hmm. believe. We're saved by faith. We're not saved by our works. So some churches, some religions, some cults, when they talk about repentance, they're actually talking about doing the works of repentance, and that that will save you. And so I, I always like to clarify this for people so they're not, they're not confused. Repentance means having an attitude change, turning from a self-directed life, turning to God. That's repentance. That's what God calls us to. That is necessary for salvation. But notice, it's like an attitude change. You haven't actually done anything yet. God doesn't wait for you to do something before he calls you a son or a daughter or uh, before he lets you into the kingdom. Because if if he w- if that was what the Bible taught, then the Bible would would be teaching works-based righteousness. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says, repent and believe. And that's an attitude change. And then that's faith. And it's faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, which we'll get into more as we continue to study the Gospel of Mark. But Eric, for you then what how would you articulate what would you say about that concept of believing which is all over the new testament
1: yeah i think there are other words that explain you know that are synonymous like faith trust confidence right we like to say it's trusting in jesus we're we're putting our trust in um jesus work on the cross alone is is what saves us and, and not our own works. What you were talking about, it's, it's, it's in his work, not our work. We're trusting that we're trusting Jesus at his word when he says, believe, repent and believe, you know, and, and other places and those who believe will have eternal life. You know, John says that some of our, some of the most famous Bible verses, what we believe in Christianity, it's simple. It's, Faith, faith alone, and again, that is what makes this an upside-down kingdom. Because in the world's way of doing things, in and all of the other world religions out there, it's a you're working your way to actually get into the to get into the good graces of God, good the good graces of the King. But here, it's backwards. We just believe in the work that He did. And we're in the good graces
0: of the king. Yeah, that's good. And that's why it's called good news. Because to me it is good news. The the good news of the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about in verse 15 is that we can <clears throat> we can enter because of faith. We don't enter because of our works, we enter because of his work. Okay, so Eric, the next couple of verses now, verses sixteen and seventeen, we go from the mission of Jesus. Remember, he came. He came out of his baptism in temptation, and then he's and then he and then he starts his ministry, right? And he's bringing this message about the kingdom of God to the world. It's an upside down kingdom, and one of the reasons it's upside down is because who he of who he enlists mm-hmm. to follow him, which is just ordinary people. He he's calling guys who you wouldn't expect to be used as part of his core team. And we see that in verses 16 and 17. Let me read those. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew—so Simon was also called Peter later—throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. So who these are the very first—according to the Gospel of Mark—these are the very first People that Jesus invites to follow him. So tell us a little bit about who he's choosing here.
1: Yeah, he's he's choosing just regular, ordinary, um, hardworking blue collar uh, people, not the most uh, noble. You know, for fishermen at that time, they were they they were actually. That wasn't a glamorous job to have. It was a necessary job, but it wasn't one that had a high social status, in their time. And and but this is the people who Jesus uses as these simple fishermen. It could be because maybe they don't think so highly of themselves, and so they're already fertile ground to be to be molded and shaped into the people that God is wanting to use, but, but I think there's also a great illustration why, you know, behind Jesus using fishermen, and I love how he says, I'm going to show you how to, to fish for people, because they are uh, living out their lives, and they're living, living in a way that says, I'm gonna, this is how they provided for their family, this is how they provided for themselves, and and, you know, for most people, people live day by day providing food, putting food on the table and taking care care of basic needs. And and Jesus uses that and says, OK, this is what you think life is about, but I'm going to show you what your life really ought to be about. This thing that this skill that you have, I'm going to take it and use it. And so it's interesting if we look at the names of the people Um, that Jesus uses, they are not just ordinary um, in the sense that they're like everybody else um, in the way they, you know, are blue collar and make a living, but they're also messed up. They're also uh, have their own, you know, character faults and and defects, and they're, they're not the most educated in verse 19, it also talks about, so we just saw Simon, who is Peter, and Andrew. And then in 19, it says, a little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. And so they end up being the first four that Mark talks about in, in the Gospel of Mark. The first four, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. if we just do a quick summary of... If we look for their names in the New Testament, and even just in the Gospel of Mark, we'll see that these guys were were prideful and arrogant and oblivious, they were rejects, they were lower members of society, but Jesus wants to turn them into confident, humble, servant followers. It's, it's yeah, amazing fact- to me, yeah.
0: In, in fact, James and John, they get a nickname later on in the Gospels, they, they're they called the Sons of Thunder, and I, that's one of my favorite stories about the disciples in the Gospels is these two guys, because because the reason they get that nickname is they're walking along with Jesus one time, and he's talking about this town that's rejecting them. I can't really fully remember the reference, but it's pretty easy to find, and, and James and John say, <clears throat> say hey... Jesus should we call down, should we call down fire from heaven on that town? Like mm. so they have this incredible zeal, but you can tell they're not the the you know that's that little story, which I actually think that the Sons of Thunder nickname is a nickname that Jesus gives to them in jest almost because he wants them to remember probably um how embarrassing that story was because we've all been like that, especially young new young Christians is in your zeal. Sometimes you can say the stupidest things because you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is and you're trying to understand his heart for people a little bit better. And James and John are perfect examples, but they're not the only ones. I mean, Peter does some of the most boneheaded stuff in scripture, and yet Peter is one of the greatest leaders in the early church. And so Jesus uses ordinary people and not religious professionals. Eric, what, what do you think would have happened if Jesus would have gone to Pharisees first instead of to fishermen?
1: Well, we see, I mean, the Pharisees automatically reject him and try to correct him. They don't believe him and their pride is so great that they, they can't even hear Jesus's message. And so, so they weren't ready. And and that's, that's something that we look for actually in ministry. Um, You know, who, who would be a great, you know, person who would be a a lay, uh, a lay elder or lay pastor, or a a service leader or someone serving in a, a deacon in the church or something like that. And, and it's, and it's a principle that we, we learn it's so much easier to work with people that are, that are humble than, than people that think they know it all and, and are, are prideful. And so, Jesus can work with these people even though they're messed up. Um, everybody's messed up, and the Pharisees just don't know it. Uh, hopefully, these right. guys do, yeah.
0: Well, and it's not just a New Testament thing either because God, all throughout the Old Testament, God is using the unlikely people in the story. I mean, starting with Abraham, there's no reason he should use Abraham, Abraham's just a guy. Who's, who probably was worshiping pagan gods. So it's not anything that Abraham did that got him selected for such an incredible role in the kingdom of God. I mean, look at David and his mistakes and Solomon, and look at all of the women who weren't supposed to be able to have kids. They end up having kids. I mean, the whole story of the Bible is filled with, and I think the point is this, is God is trying to elevate his... His power and His glory and and His uh, sovereignty mm-hmm. over people. And I think if we had a Bible full of regular, or sorry, not regular, but superheroes that God used, then I don't think that any of us today would feel like we could be used by God. But God didn't ever choose superheroes, even if there were such a thing. He always just chose regular people, a lot of times unlikely people. Very rarely did He choose the firstborn, which was kind of a cultural thing. Um, the, you know, the, in the culture, in ancient cultures, the firstborn, especially the firstborn male was so important and God rarely, if ever used the firstborn male. I mean, Judah is, I think the fourth born of the 12, of the 12 sons. And so again, we see this over and over and over. And I think Paul describes it well in first Corinthians one verses 26 to 29. He says this, remember dear brothers and sisters that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful, or wealthy when God called you instead. God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who think they're powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Man, I love that. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. And so Paul's the one who explains this principle so well to the church in Corinth. And I think it's interesting that Paul understood this because Paul had been a Pharisee, and he did end up getting used by God in a mighty way. Uh, so many of the books of the New Testament are written by Paul, but it really required a heart change for Paul. Paul had to humble himself and recognize that he, he even though he was a Pharisee with all these credentials, he talks about this in his letter to the Philippians, that at the end of the day, he realized that all that is just rubbish. All of that counts for nothing compared to knowing Jesus, right? And that's the message.
1: Yeah, only Jesus is great enough to use a bunch of nobodies, really. You know, and that's, again, what makes it this, this up, upside down kingdom theme keeps popping up time and time again as we look at this is because... If someone was going to start an organization, I mean, we've got so many examples of, of people in the world, you know, the, the Jeff Bezos and the Elon Musk and the, the, the great organizations and the great business people of our age. They, it's, I, I don't think that they would go and, and choose people like this to start the core team with them, it wouldn't make any sense. They, they would want people that that could equally share a, a load and have all the great ideas. but yet God as you as you said, is doing this because of his his graciousness and for his glory. He wants to show people just how powerful he is and it's it's so upside down because he's starting this kingdom and and along the way he's he's serving. He's serving everyone. He's 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 being gracious. He's using these nobodies to to elevate them first and foremost, and and certainly they're gonna go around and do his work. But but it's not out of any work that that is in them. It's through what he's gonna do through them and in them. He, he's empowering them for this mission. It's all of God's power that's working in these guys. Anything that they try to contribute seems to not really be helpful at all. Um it's only when they really surrender to to Jesus in his way and and use his power, the power of the Holy Spirit, to actually does does the church and the kingdom actually start to to grow.
0: Yeah, and let's let's finish for today by their response. Yeah. And so we've been, we've been reading a lot of these verses here it's a pretty short section but we've been reading we have we've left this one little part out verse 18 it says after they were called it says and they left their nets at once and followed him and there's that word at at once or some translations say immediately and we saw a couple of weeks ago that the gospel of mark has this word immediately 40 times this is one of them they left their nets at once and followed him so here i just want to paint the picture for people eric they've got, Jesus is coming to these guys I don't know if he has had really ever interacted with them before they'd probably seen some seen him around town I don't I don't know but but Jesus calls them invites them to go with him and they leave their nets and followed him that was a kind of a big deal what they did I mean what did their nets represent for a fisherman
1: yeah again that was their their livelihood—that um, was their specialty. That was what they lived for. That was their identity, right? And so, so to be asked to leave that behind and and go blindly follow Jesus would have been a great moment of of faith and and really sacrifice and surrender for them. And to me, I think when we think about Nets, you know what? What what are things that not all of us are fishermen now, right? But what are the things in our lives that that we find our identity in, or that we spend so much time doing? Whether it's career, whether it's family, whether it's you know uh, hobbies and activities, um, you know things that take up our time and our attention. When Jesus is calling us, um, things that entangle us, that hold us captive. You know, I think about a net, and a net is to catch and and hold something captive, right? Um, it's to 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 catch fish so that you can ultimately take them and use them for what you want. And so the world throws so many nets at us um, that get us entangled in so many different things that take our focus and our allegiance away from really following Jesus and and surrendering to his rule in our life. And so for these guys to leave their nets meant that they were sacrificing their way of life to follow Jesus's way. And that's something that we should all consider. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, for them, it was their livelihood, right? And in verse 20, it says, for the sons of Zebedee, James and John, it says he called them at once. There it is again. There's another immediately... Uh, citing in the Gospel of Mark. And they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. So so uh, who Andrew and Peter leave their nets, but then in verse 20, it says that James and John leave two things. They leave their boat, which again represents their livelihood, it represents their job, it represents their career, but they also le- left their father, which you know for some people listening that that's the harder thing because sometimes god when god calls us when god calls us to follow him it does sometimes mean sacrificing family or sac- sacrificing relationships that are important to you you know maybe you're leaving a cult and you're going to lose your family as a result or or maybe you're you're leaving a kind of a lifestyle of partying and as a result, it's going to impact your relationship with your drinking buddies, mm. right? I mean, so that for a lot of people listening, you should ask yourself, what what is leaving your nets mean to you? What is that thing for you? Maybe it is walking away from one career to another, although you don't have to go into full-time ministry to be a follower of Jesus. That's not at all what we're saying. But Eric, that's part of your story. You left a career where you were really advancing in your career, took a pay cut, to come on staff and be a pastor, right? And so leaving your net was a lot a lot like what what these four guys did.
1: Yeah, I think I've left several nets in my life and I'm still trying to get untangled from some <laughs> that I'm still caught in, but yeah, I I I left a a job where I gained a lot of training and skills and was advancing there, but there was also a net of, you know, like you said partying and addiction and and on a way of living i used to have a hobby you know that took a lot a lot of time bodybuilding i was obsessed with you know the way i looked and 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 eating and preparing meals all the time and it just took up so much time but when when the lord really you know it's it happened slowly we we think about this thing immediately which i wished i would have done you know if i think about when i knew the call or, or when I first felt the Lord Jesus calling me, and and understood the good news of the kingdom and the gospel, I wished I would have immediately dropped everything and ran. And that is something that I really want everybody, you know, after me to know is is a lot of the things that we get caught up in, the pursuits we get caught up in, aren't are really just dragging us down and and wasting our time. I wished I would have left them all sooner, but God. You know, was patient with me and slowly kept calling and calling me, and finally, finally, there were there were decisions I had to make to to leave some nets behind in my life so that I could free up more time to do what the Lord wanted me to do, rather than to follow my own my own thoughts and um, my own ways. Now that doesn't mean that you know the Lord hasn't asked me to give up, um, everything I love. I still have a, uh, you know, I'm very blessed. I have hobbies. I have things that I do, but I think, you know, practically speaking, this is something that should cause us to look at our priorities in life, you know, and, and really, um, the call for every Christian to get on, on board with his mission, um, to leave Leave the boat with all the nets of all the other things, and 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 figure out where are we at with Jesus calling our lives? Because there's so many Christians out there that they would say that they're followers of Jesus, but if we looked at where they spend all their time and priority, would they really? What can we really say that they they've really left their nets and and followed Jesus? Are they on mission, going to spread this kingdom that Jesus is trying to spread, um, using these workers and these servants to to take this message to the ends of the earth? That's really what we're all called to do. And in Mark again, I we keep referring a little bit ahead in the book of Mark because there's there's so much that ties into this. Jesus clarifies what it means to become a follower of Jesus. He says it so clearly, you can't really deny it. In, in Mark eight thirty-four, he says, Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any one of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. You know, a cross represents sacrifice the same sacrifice jesus gave up his life he stepped down from heaven to save you and me and and yes we believe in that and we join the kingdom we're saved and we have eternal life but now he's saying but there's some sacrifices that you all also ought to endure if you're going to follow me
0: so that's the Upside Down Kingdom from Mark chapter one. Again, this was verses 14 to 20. If you want to talk about this with your family, with a small group, with a mentor, we encourage you to check it out at PursuGod.org forward slash Mark. This is lesson three in the series and we're, and stay with us next, because next week we're going to keep going through the gospel of Mark. Hope you'll join us.